In Acts uh, chapter 20, Paul is, uh, is, is racing to get back to Jerusalem. He's headed back. He wants to be there in time for the festival of Pentecost, and he doesn't want to stop and spend any more time in Ephesus, so, so he just asked the elders of the, the church there to, to just meet with him. And in Acts 20, verses 22 through 24, look what he says. He says, And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, and I don't know what awaits me there. The Spirit will eventually tell him that what awaits you there is, is jail and torture, essentially. But he says, I'm bound by the Spirit to go. I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, and I don't know what awaits me there. And look what he says in verse 24. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. So as we've been in this series talking about a, a life on mission one of the things we've recognized is the need for deeper conversation. It's, uh, I know you never feel like this, like the preacher says something and it just kind of bounces off or goes past you somehow. And so, so we've, uh, we've recognized the need to go deeper, to create space to, to talk. And so what we're going to do right now is just, uh, I'm going to set the timer on my phone. I'm going to give you five minutes and I want you to physically turn to your neighbors, turn your chairs, don't leave anyone out, make sure you include everyone. And I just wanted you to spend five minutes discussing uh, this, this verse specifically, but the questions that come out of this verse are, what is the work the Lord Jesus has assigned you? Paul knew what his work was. What is your life mission? And remember what Paul said, he said, you know, my, wife, my life would be useless, it'd be, it'd be worthless if I wasn't using it to fulfill my life mission. And so then the next question is, are you fulfilling it? What is that mission? What is that, that purpose? What is that work the Lord Jesus has assigned you? All right, everybody know what we're going to do? Any questions? All right, five minutes. I'm going to set the timer on my phone. Just turn around and uh, discuss these questions with your neighbors. <laughs> All right, how'd you do? Amazing. <laughs> how'd you do? How'd you do? Some call it the Great Commission, or, or they use the language of evangelism, discipleship, or witnessing. The simplest way I know to explain it is that God's great desire is to draw all humanity to himself. Because of sin, we've all strayed from God, yet through the grace and blood of his son, Jesus Christ, God has made a way for all of us to return to him, and this is the good news. It's the gospel, God's heartbeat, his number one desire. And the scripture tells us that this is God's plan from the beginning. And we believe his plan is our mission. The life mission of every Christian is to grow followers of Jesus Christ to make disciples. Can I get an amen? Amen. So a couple of uh, months ago, I was talking to my brother, uh, my younger brother, um, he was switching jobs. He had worked in the building science field and was working teaching for a college. And he was switching over into the private sector, working for a, a began a new job at, at a big company, building, uh, building homes, building private homes. And, and it was his first week or two on the job. And he called me and he said, you're not going to believe what happened. And uh, so my dad works in ministry, you know, I'm uh, uh, working, do some work in ministry too, but my brother is not like that at all. Like, I love my brother, and he has a faith, but it's not like he's like, no, that's, 
that's for somebody else. You know, he's just a normal guy trying to take care of his family. And, and while he has a faith, he's, he's never really shared it or, or felt compelled to share it or know how to do that. But he was telling me this story of, you know, I just started this new job and, and it was our first big company meeting, at least the first one he was there for. And so all the employees are there and the, the lead contractors are there and all the upper management is there and everyone's there and there's people on the, uh, on the phone, you know, teleconferencing in and they're, they're all gathering into this big room to have this big, like, big company meeting. And as they were getting ready to start, my brother told me he just felt compelled, like, like he'd never felt before. And he did something that he has never done before. Just as the meeting was beginning, he just, he just raised, stood up and said, would it be okay if we started with a prayer? And the, the sound in the room was what just happened here. <laughs> you know, it was crickets. And eventually, some of the upper managers said, yeah, that'd be great. Let's, let's do it. And my brother, who is not, you know, this, this spiritual guru or giant, just said a brief prayer for the company and for the decisions they're going to be making. And that was it. And they had their meeting and everything carried on. And um, my brother felt, well, that was really weird that I felt compelled to do that. And they let me do that. But he didn't realize how weird it was until he got back to his office and checked his inbox. In his email, he, he had, even by the time he got back to his office, it was filled with more than 20 different emails from people within the company. None of them were negative or, or complaining. Some of them were, were just sheer astonishment. Uh, one, of the, one of the emails I love, it, it simply said, who does this? Businesses just don't do this. And then praise my brother for his courage because... He, I guess he could have gotten fired. But the majority of the emails that came in were requests from prayer, for prayers. All of a sudden, my, my brother, is just, just starting this new position, became this, this beacon that, that people could turn to and go to and, and request prayers from. And my brother called me and said, what do I do with all of these? Like, this is, this is your job. This is not my job. And I said, oh, no. Oh, no. And so my brother, over the past uh, couple of months, has been praying for, for marriages and families and kids and everything that's come across in, in a kind of crazy, unexpected way. He's become this, this uh, source of prayer at this very, very secular um, company. Maybe the final lesson in our... Uh, Life on Mission series, our mission isn't going to end, but the series is wrapping up, is, is best summarized in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Some of you have heard it um, quoted as pray without ceasing or, or pray continually, but I love the way the New Living Translation translation says it. What are those three words? Let's say them together. Never stop praying. More specifically, I think for us, the, the message is never stop praying for those who don't know Christ. In a Tim Harlow's book, a Life on Mission, he tells this great story about a, a couple of church planters. Um, 
Dory Gorman and her husband were starting a new church in a, in, in a Chicago neighborhood. And in those early stages, there wasn't much to do except, except pray and, and, and pray hard. And, and they came up with this incredibly creative way to both pray with and pray for the people of their neighborhood. I just want to read you uh, just, a, just a brief segment of what they said, just a brief excerpt. Dory says, my husband was sitting in a coffee shop. Sometimes in Chicago, prayer walks in the wintertime are more like prayer sits. You sit in a coffee shop and look out the window and pray for people as they walk by because it's cold. He was sitting in a coffee shop praying and really felt burdened for the neighborhood and noticed that everyone as they walked by just were sort of hurry, worried, busy, and just were all looking down. He really felt this burden. How are we going to tell people about the love of Christ? I don't really want to be the guy with a bullhorn on the corner, but there are over 300,000 people in the three square miles in our neighborhood. How do we tell all of them about Jesus? He just noticed they were all looking down. I don't know if in prayer God, God spoke to him in sidewalk talk. It was the weirdest thing. He came home and told it to me, the idea of chalking encouraging messages to our neighborhood as a way of pastoring the neighborhood and telling people that they were praying that we were praying for them without using those words necessarily. I was like, that sounds cheesy. I don't know how I feel about this. But we did it. And lo and behold, it ended up being a huge way that we have really pastored our neighborhood. We've walked and prayed for people and then stopped and chalked things like, you are loved, and all things can be made new again, and maybe what you're holding on to is actually holding you back. Things like that. Great conversations have come from those chalked messages, literally our prayers for this neighborhood written on the street. We haven't looked back and great stories of people being impacted through prayer, and those words have come from it. Cheesy idea, right? But I love the emphasis on praying for others. My expectation is most of you uh, claim Christ or, or claim to be a Christian or have some inkling towards Christ. And so because you claim this, then you probably pray. Maybe you pray for um, for jobs or maybe you pray for health or maybe you pray for kids um, my, my expectation is most of you probably say some sort of prayers at some time, but one of the things I've come to realize is that most of my prayers revolve around me and my stuff. Have you seen this? So how often have you prayed for your family and your stuff compared to praying for your neighbors or your coworkers? How often have you offered prayers, offered to pray for someone else? E.M. Uh, e. Bounds said in, uh, in a great quote, I think we have it on the screen, he says, talking to men for God is a great thing, but talking to God for men is still greater. So today's teaching really is two parts, and uh, one part is I want you to think about um, praying for those who don't know Christ. I want you to shift your, your, not the amount of your prayers, but I want you to shift your prayer focus from yourself to those who don't know Christ, to those who aren't a follower of Christ. How many times recently have you prayed for your specific neighbors, for the people immediately around you? Um, I know we've said the prayers, please don't annoy me, 
pray for my boss to quit being a jerk to me, pray for, but really pray for, you know, we've been talking about a life on mission. How can we share Christ with others? But have we been praying for these people and praying consistently? So that's one part of today's teaching. And the other part of today's teaching is I just want to teach you a new phrase. As we live out this life on mission, as we seek to make disciples of Jesus Christ, one of the things you can do is offer to pray for someone else, like my brother did in, in a really unexpected way. Um, it's one of the curious things that happen in our world. Have you seen how uh, people, even if they don't have a faith, even if they don't know Jesus Christ, while they may not be open to an invitation to come to Easter Sunday, would be open to you praying for them? Have you seen this? So the phrase I want you to learn today is, how can I pray for you? Now, this is different from the often said, well, I'll pray for you, right? I'll pray for you just doesn't, isn't, isn't quite the same message. Like, I'll pray for you to get hit by a bus. I'll pray for you. Like, what, are, what does that mean exactly? And so I, wanna, I want you to, to, to learn this new phrase, which is, how can I pray for you? Because that phrase communicates a couple of things. It, it's, it's just that simple. It, it communicates that, hey, I actually care about you. Saying, hey, how can I pray for you? Says, hey, right now in the middle of all of my stuff and all of my busyness, you know what I'm talking about. In the midst of my kids and, and the stress at my work and all of the anxiety I'm feeling, how can I pray for you? Tells that person that in the middle of my busy world, I am making space for you. Remember, we talked a couple of weeks ago about presence and how important that is. And so to actually do this, to actually say to someone else, hey, how can I pray for you, um, is to, first of all, on your behalf, to make space, to, to be concerned, to be aware, to be empathetic to the needs of others, to care about their burdens, to make space in your life for them. And so how can I pray for you is going to be one of the tools we put in your toolbox as you head out on this life on mission, as you're having a casual conversation with, uh, with friends or neighbors, and their burdens come up, which is what's going to happen. Their struggles are going to come up. Their stressors, their anxiety is going to come up. And your response, I want to pre-program you, is how can I pray for you? Maybe the most important thing this, this phrase offers is um, to pray for someone else communicates, what it, what it communicates is your belief, and not necessarily their belief, but it communicates your belief that God cares. It communicates, you know, you're not presupposing what they believe, but you're in, in, introducing them to First off, I believe that there is a God, and I believe that he actually cares. Just saying, how can I pray for you, carries with it this incredibly powerful message. And it also should relieve you of some of the stress and pain of trying to fix or trying to heal or trying to mend what's broken, right? Scripture says that it is only God who can change a heart. And so to say, how can I pray for you, is to invite God to do just that, to invite God 
to intercede. So now we want to give you space to do just that. Space to invite God to intercede. So today, uh, uh, and, and for, the, for the foreseeable future, until we, we feel like changing things again, we've changed up our communion uh, uh, style, uh, method. And what you'll see around the table is several different communion stations, three different stations. And in just a few moments, what I'm going to get you to do is I'm just going to ask everyone to stand up and to make your way to one of these communion stations. And uh, I want you to take the cup and, and take the bread, which is this special kind of bread. You're really going to like it. Um, take this bread. And then I want you to go and find a group of people. Uh, maybe the people you're sitting next to, maybe your, maybe your family or friends, or, or maybe somebody you don't know. I just want you to go and uh, um, let's have a, a communal communion. Can we do that? Now, the reason we, we do things like this is to not disorient you, but to hopefully reorient you around what communion is about. And so when you take your communion elements, we invite you to find a group of people, move your chairs, feel free to, to move around. It's one of the blessings of our small church. Um, want to create space for you to take communion together. And in your communion time together, in your small group, in the 10 or 15 minutes that we'll create for you, we want you to do two things. One, I want you to pray specifically for people who do not know Christ. Pray specifically for your friends or neighbors or coworkers, or, or maybe they're just not living out the life that Christ has called them to live. So I want you to pray, especially as we get up to Easter, which is next week, right? Is there a more important prayer between now and then? So now, in your times, I want you to pray for those you know who don't know Christ. And then uh, I want you to practice using, uh, because we need, to, we need to practice at this. I want you to practice using the phrase I just taught you. What is it? How can I pray for you? So as you pray for others, I just want to, um, and you don't have to actually just say that to every single person. Probably once is enough. But I want you to just share. How can I pray for you? And as a group, I want you to share communion together. The body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Invite him into those prayers. Invite him into your circle. Invite him into your group. Allow him to move and intercede among you. Everyone know what we're going to do? Is this too complicated? Are you afraid? I don't care. <laughs> so here's how this is going to work. The, the tables are set up at the back. Um, uh, get big, big hunks of, uh, of bread. If you want, tear them off and share them with each other. We'd, we'd love for you to do that. That'd be great. Um, if so, there, there happens to be someone around you that... Uh, that for whatever reason can't go get the elements for themselves, well, just someone make sure they, they get taken care of, okay? Make sure that uh, someone brings it to them. And I just want you to get the elements, create a small group, pray for those who don't know Christ, and then ask each other, hey, how can I pray for you? Spend a few moments praying together, take communion together, and when it's appropriate, the worship team will come back up, and uh, they'll uh, continue us in a, in a time of worship. Everybody got it? You understand what you're doing?
Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. As even today we prepare for the celebrating his resurrection, Father God, we take communion as, as, as a part of our tradition, but as a part of, a, a, of who we are, which is this, a part of this desire that has been in us to, to constantly unite ourselves with you, to constantly align our lives with you, to constantly remember who you are. And so, Father God, as we take this communion, as we, we, we take this bread, which represents the broken body of your son, and as we drink this cup, which is the blood poured out for us, Father God, let us celebrate communion by praying for those your son died for. Father God, we know that your son Jesus didn't come for the healthy, but for the sick. And so, Father God, as we take communion today, we remember those who don't know you. We remember those on our, on our parents of our kids' teams and, and uh, in our office spaces, people, Father God, who are far from you, and we pray for them today, even right now, to be drawn near. And Father God, as we take this time of communion, we also remember to pray for the needs of those around us, to invite you into to be active in our lives, not just in this moment, not just in the, the walls of a building called the church, but to be involved in powerful ways throughout our lives. So Father God, I pray that your spirit would move powerfully as we enter into this time of communion. We love you, Father. And in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says, amen. I invite you to this time of communion. Please stand and make your way to the stations.